Before we begin, we want to tell you three times a week, the right time with Bomani Jones podcast brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of the games. Plus, we have a community of friends, including Dominique Foxworth from Foxworth Fridays. That's the right time with Bomani Jones, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, and Wednesdays and Fridays podcasts are also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. Also, the final episode for Man in the Arena is here exclusively on ESPN Plus, which means all episodes are now streaming. Man in the Arena, Tom Brady. 22 seasons and 10 Super Bowl appearances. Tom Brady like you've never heard him featuring Tom's three sisters, Giselle Bunchen, Tom Brady Sr., Rob Gronkowski, Michael Strahan, and many more. All episodes are now streaming on ESPN Plus, presented by Under Armour. a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my man. He got that draft week smell on him right now. Ryan Clark. He was all over ESPN for the draft last week doing his thing. Coming up on this show, guys, we got to go back to Vegas because the draft wasn't the only thing happening. Rob Font versus mm. Marlon Vera absolutely delivered. Then yep. we're going to look forward to UFC 274. They got a bit of a fight going down in Arizona. And we're joined by Kayla Harrison as she gets ready to headline PFL 3 uh, this weekend also. But Ryan, before we do any of that, look, man. What's up, bro? You out there looking fresh. You had the purple yeah, suit on. Yeah, you, you saw me? But Ryan, what's up with the umbrella, my guy? I wanted to mean? get an umbrella. I wanted to get an umbrella, but then my mom always told me, don't open an umbrella inside. Can't do that. That's bad do luck. That. That's, That's bad, bad luck. luck. But dude, who is the person that has to hold your umbrella and why? Do you like the sweat? You don't like the sweat? Well, first off, here's the first thing. No one holds my umbrella. Umbrella. I don't need a Fonsworth Bentley. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'm not I'm not Diddy, right? I'm, I'm not Fat Joe when I think, he, I mean, uh, I'm not Big Pun when he had somebody <laughs> holding the umbrella. Fall it. I hold my own umbrella, but okay, it was okay. hot, bro. And that day, that day <laughs> I had on the orange suit. The orange, right? the suit, orange, yeah. the orange suit. If you if you sweat in that, you might be able to see it. So here <laughs> I am trying to be professional. There was an umbrella on the set, so I used it. And it's not the first time I used the umbrella. Oh, you always. Was, I remember. Use it. I remember back in Washington, I had an umbrella for some interviews. Listen, DC, you know we have that good melanin, and I know they say black <laughs> don't crack, right? But I ain't trying to risk it, bro. No, so why do happens. I need? Why do I need unnecessary? Why do I need unnecessary sun rays? So I didn't want all that vitamin D. I did the right thing. It it makes you look like a diva. It really does make you look. It makes you look like a bit of a diva. But it's okay though. I'm down. We also were supposed to have dinner last week, and you stood me up. So I'm just gonna leave it like that. So RC, look, but we gotta move forward. We can't make this boy lying. We cannot make this all about you and your bad. uh, the way you nurture friendships, your bad nurturing of friendships will not be the focus of this show today. So we got to start by going back. First off, tremendous yep. job on the draft. But Thank you, brother. Right up the street, <laughs> we had a fight night. Yeah, we had some real animals on display. Right, we had mm-hmm. people. We had Andre Arlovsky once again, yep. just showing that time doesn't matter. But then Man. Marlon Chito Vera, once again comes out in the biggest spot of his career and he does what he did to, did to Rob Font. Bro, Chito Vera is not only the coolest human being walking the face of God greets earth, but this <laughs> dude can absolutely fight. He can. And listen, there's the other part too, though. You know, I always wonder, and, and I'm not a fighter, DC, maybe you can help me. What happened when a, what happens to a mindset when a guy misses weight? And, and even mm-hmm. if, if, if his opponent, you know, if you're the guy that misses weight, do you feel more pressure to, to come out and show that you still can win, that you still can yeah. put the, you know, put the pressure on your opponent. Now you can finish him because maybe you are a little heavier or you didn't have to really endure the mm-hmm. weight cut the same. Or if you're on the other side, are you walking into the octagon thinking, okay, like, like, like this dude has an edge on me. And there were a lot of moments, especially early, where Rob Font was, was battering. Uh, yeah. Vera w- 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 was putting him in some tough spots and he kept rebounding, he kept rebounding and then kind of end up dominating throughout the five round bout. When you think about guys 
missing weight, DC, does that play any effect on the actual fight? You know what's crazy is, RC, the universe finally is like setting things straight. Because mm -hmm. for a long time, the guy that missed weight was just dominating. But right. this year, something like one in six guys that have missed weight. So the athletes that aren't disciplined aren't really seeing the benefit before. Sure, you missed weight. You weren't eligible for bonuses. You mm -hmm. didn't get the extra money, but you never really depleted yourself. Because when you look yeah. at Rob Font, and he misses weight by two and a half pounds, I will yeah. tell you from experience. That's not even close. Bro, that's not close, and that's the hardest pounds. Those last two pounds, they barely move. So when I went to Boston to fight Vulcan, I got down to 209 pretty easily. Mm -hmm. But those last four pounds took four hours to get off. Right. Right. So it's like you're going through some struggles to get that weight off. And Rob Font didn't have to do that. So mm -hmm. to see the guys recently not find that success has been good. But here's the thing that's even more important is when a guy's at his best, they usually make weight on the scale. So it ah, speaks to maybe you. not being prepared for what Cheeto did going down the stretch. But that's that's what the story of this fight really is. It's Marlon Vera because yep. everybody loves him, bro. Anybody that comes in contact with him, anybody that talks to him, anybody that spends any time with Cheeto, they fall in love with the guy. And we have now seen him start to deliver with his performances and show that he has one of the best bantamweights in the world. And if you're going to be a bantamweight contender right now with how good this weight class is at with Aljo as the champ, you have got to truly start to separate yourself. And we're finally starting to see that from Tito Vera. So now with, with, with Tito Vera winning this fight and winning it in the fashion that he has and, and showing that he still is an elite contender, what do you want to see next from him, DC? Does he get the Aldo rematch? Or do you want to see him get an opportunity with Piotr Jan and maybe setting him up for the Ooh, Aljo wow. for, 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 for the Aljo Dillashaw winner. Because we, we, we've we seen Jose in there with Piotr Jan yeah. and we saw the way that went. It, it actually ended up, he was almost dominated toward the end yeah. of that fight and it was yeah. gracefully stopped. And so what would you think would be next for Tito Vera? I got to be honest with you, man. You, uh, that I never thought of that. I never thought about him versus Piotr. All I've thought about is Corey Sanhagen. That, okay. That's the guy okay. for me. Like, I want to see Sanhagen be in that Sanhagen um, just lost the interim title fight mm -hmm. to Piotr. I think that it's a bit of a big jump if you do it for Cheeto. You know, Cheeto's, uh, uh, he's very tough. He's very well-rounded. But we saw in the right. Aldo fight that if you do the right things, you can cause him some issues with the wrestling. Um, I think it's Sanhagen, though. I think that's a good mm -hmm. natural step. I think that when people have good performances like we saw last weekend, we tend to get excited and we want them to go up further. He doesn't need that. He needs a natural progression up the weight class because he is now starting to make him his way into the conversation of a guy that's potentially going to fight for the belt. Because now okay. he just dominated Frankie Edgar, knocked him out the way that he did in New York. Yep. You come out there and you beat Rob Font in the way that he did. When Rob Font just recently was fighting right at the top of the division, you put yep. him in there now with another guy that is a natural step up the rankings. And I think that's Corey Sanhagen with a win there. Now, now you're into the, the three, right? Dillashaw, yeah. Aljamain Sterling, Piotr Jan. I feel like those guys are a bit the cream of the crop and everybody else is like a step under. Yeah. And then if you, and if you think about where Corey Sanhagen is, and we always talk about this, he's a step below the elite, right? He's a step yep. below Piotr Jan, a step below uh, yep. Aljermaine Sterling, a step below uh, TJ Dillashaw, because yep. we've seen him in the octagon with all of those guys. And we saw excitement, especially from the Piotr Jan fight early, right? TJ Dillashaw throughout the entire bout. But and then, you know, he's obviously submitted by Aljermaine Sterling on the ground. And so I think when you look at him, that would be a nice step for Vera seeing where he is and saying, OK, if he can beat uh, Sanhagen, which you don't want to you don't want to call Sanhagen necessarily a gatekeeper, but, but you, now but you find yourself there to RC, right? He's yeah. kind of not a gatekeeper, but like you're the step, you're the, the, the boundary to the next level. Because yes. as you said, if he's number four, he's fought one, two, three, right? right. He's fought all of those champions before and he's a, a, a step under him. So he is a great 
stepping stone in to well, that triangle of of uh, those three super high level guys. You know what? It's like Michael Jordan said. If you remember, Michael Jordan said the ceiling is the roof. Right. And that's what Corey Sanhagen now. If you don't beat him, then that's the ceiling. Right. You, you, yeah. you now can't get to that next tier. But if you do, you're now standing on top of him, getting an opportunity to fight against, you know, quote unquote, the big three. But so somebody who two people who don't have to get to the ceiling or the roof are fighting in UFC 274. And that's going to be Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje. And, you know, listening to these dudes like pump this fight has gotten me excited. You know, Justin Gaethje talked about the hell Khabib Namorgamedov had to walk through in order to get him to the ground. And he said Charles Oliveira is going to have to do the exact same thing, DC. But I would contend and, you know, maybe in my little puny uh, fan football mind, I'm wrong. I watched him walk through hell in the uh, first round against Michael Chandler. I watched him walk through hell in the first round against Dustin Poirier. And it didn't seem to, bo to, to bother Dubronx. And so when you're looking at Oliveira versus Gaethje, how much excitement do you have waiting on these two men to walk into the octagon? I'm always excited for a Justin Gaethje fight. Like, that's mm -hmm. no question about it. No thoughts to it not being exciting and fun. Now, the new Charles Oliveira, he is a stone cold killer. I mean, dude's a killer. He will literally walk you down like a cyborg. He goes forward. He's face first. He takes whatever you give him to get to you the position that can help him dominate. Now, Gaethje's very aware. That's one thing people don't understand about Justin is for as good of a fighter as he is, he's much more smart than people give him credit for. He knows where to fight and how to fight. I know it seems like he's just in there giving one, uh, taking one, giving one, taking one until eventually he wears his guys down. But the dude knows how to set traps. He knows how to really make reads on his opponents to make them make mistakes, which ultimately he capitalizes on over and over and over again. Problem is, New Bronx doesn't really make mistakes anymore. This new Charles Oliveira, right. the lightweight champion of the world, the guy that has beaten Michael Chandler, the guy mm -hmm. that has beaten Dustin Poirier, the guy that has really shown that he is the best in the world doesn't really leave as many openings as you would think. Because after watching him in DP, it was almost by design, knowing that Dustin believed so much in his power that he would put everything into his shots that he would ultimately get tired and he'd be able to submit him. Crazy. So, you know, when you think about who Justin Gaethje has become, Justin Gaethje has become that fighter that we walk into the arena or we sit down on ESPN plus and we think fireworks, you know, yep. even if we go back to uh, Khabib in the first round, it was fireworks. It could just had a chin of a dude yeah. that grew up with a pet bear, you know, like that's <laughs> like, that's just, that that's just what it was. We think back to, you know, Tony Ferguson, obviously Michael Chandler, we've seen those types of things from Justin Gaethje already, but, but we know like, like let's go back to, uh, Dustin Poirier. Once Dubronk started to, once Dubronk started to take him down and got his back, the fight was oh. over. Is is, is oh. there going to be any point in this fight where Justice is going to have to lean on what is truly, and people probably forget a great wrestling background? Oh, Ryan, but in reverse, but in okay. reverse, he doesn't need to use it offensively. He's got to use it defensively to ensure that he doesn't end up on the ground with Charles Oliveira. This is the greatest submission artist of all time. No one does it like Bronx does. I mean, from submitting Kevin Lee to submitting Dustin Poirier, he just submits everyone. It, it, when he gets you down there, he is so comfortable in this world. So yes, Justin Gaethje has a tremendous wrestling background, but that does not need to be used in order to pursue takedowns against Charles Oliveira. This needs to be used to stay upright. Because Dubronx is dangerous on his back, but he's the most scary fighter in UFC history if he finds a way onto your back. So as good as Aljamain Sterling's backpack is and all the guys that we have seen do the rear choke submissions, nobody does it like Charles Oliveira. So you have got to make sure that you're upright. And even standing upright, Ryan, it's not like you're holding 
a massive advantage against this dude because right. the dude is so good in the stand-up now. It, yeah. It, he really has become one of the most well-rounded fighters in the UFC. And his toughness, his cardio, and his, his mindset has changed so much that it's been hard to beat him. And, and that's one thing people point to. The days in which Charles Oliveira would quit, and everybody says it. I'm going to push him to make him quit. Yeah. Yep. It's been so long since we've seen that. I don't know if that guy exists anymore. Yeah, you know, you know what's crazy about that, DC? And, and I hate bringing up uh, Amanda Nunes losing because you're going to be all, I told you all the whole time, <laughs> RC. You showed a very elementary understanding of the fight game, blah, 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 blah. But Juliana Pena said the same thing about Amanda Nunes. And, and I was of the mindset at that point that, you, you can't bring champions who have disproven that narrative about them back to that, right? Because now they have that championship mindset. So are you telling me when you look at Charles Oliveira now, you don't think that that exists anymore, that 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 breaking point or that that point of 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 discouragement that can force him into not being at championship level is still there? Because if it's not there, then. How does someone beat him now? You see, here's the thing, right? Obviously, people can win. And as we saw in the Amanda fight, she was reminded. The difference is Charles has been there in this run. He was hurt bad by Chandler. He was hurt bad by Poirier. He was pushed. We had just never seen Amanda pushed. During that whole run, Amanda was cruising. Yeah. And it got difficult again. Juliana reminded her of how hard fighting could be, and she didn't respond well. But with mm. Oliveira, we have seen him hurt. We have seen him deal with adversity. We have seen him get rocked on multiple occasions, fight his way through the adversity. But if there's anyone that's going to take him to that place, anyone that's going to put those memories in his mind, it's going to be Justin Gaethje. Because Gaethje kicked Khabib hard in round mm -hmm. one. He had Khabib hurt with leg kicks in round yeah. one. He hit Habib in, on a number of instances with his hands. He defended yep. takedowns. He made Habib work as hard as Habib has worked around. Judges scored the round for Justin Gaethje. We don't mm -hmm. see Habib Nurmagomedov lose rounds. Justin yeah. won round one on two judges' scorecards, even though I disagree. I didn't think he won the round, but they, they thought he did. Mm -hmm. He will remind Charles how hard this sport can be. So we will see if Charles still can get through it as we've seen him do uh, recently. Now it's time for one round with Justin Gaethje, the human highlight, your favorite fighter's favorite fighter. My man, you've been in Arizona for a couple days. You're back home. How are you dealing with the acclimation and getting ready for the biggest fight of your entire career? This has been a way of life for a long time, DC. Um, I just kind of uh, stay positive. You know, I got the coaches and the people surrounding me that, that help me stay positive, but ultimately, I I know for a fact there is not one more thing I could have done to be prepared for this mm -hmm. moment in time, and I draw a lot of confidence from that. Is there anyone in particular that you brought into camp to try and help you uh, prepare for Charles Oliveira? Because he does present a lot of different challenges that you yeah. haven't really seen because, you know, you fought the best of the best, obviously. But some guys specialize in one area when it comes to Oliveira, he is much more than just a submission specialist. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I have a, I have a jujitsu coach. I got still Camaro's guy, George Santiago. He's going to be yeah. in my corner. Um, Patrick Mix, Alexander Almeida, you know, a couple great, great submission grapplers. Uh, I've had put me in a bunch of, bunch of submissions, but and ultimately, it's just to gain a little bit of confidence in those situations. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not out here looking to sub people, but I've worked on defense for a long time. And, you know, really just touching up on those, those things, putting myself in those situations more so um, has been, you know, been able to give me some confidence when it comes to that. At the end of the day, he ain't going to grab me. He ain't going to be able to grab me. He better say a lot of prayers that he's going to be able to grab me. Because, has, that uh, yeah. focus, has that been the focus, though, JG? Has that been the focus, like, staying upright, maintaining space and distance? Because earlier in the show, Ryan and I spoke about it, and he asked me, in particular, 
How much will Justin have to rely on his high-level wrestling to allow for him to win this fight? And I told him, it's wrestling in reverse. It's to stay standing because you feel like you have the advantage on the feet. Hey, half of wrestling is not getting taken down. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's that's where I was always the best. I was never a great offensive wrestler. I was extremely hard to score on, and you couldn't hold me down. And, you know, from day one, that's what I prided myself on. Um, and I wasn't a great offensive wrestler. I, I had great takedowns, and I could bully people into, you know, on their back. But ultimately, I was a great defensive wrestler. And at the highest levels, that's what you have to be. Uh, if you watch the Michael Chandler fight, you watch the Tony Ferguson fight, those guys would have loved to get it to the ground. And they, uh, you know, they just were not able. Mm. In the history of my fights, I think I've been taken down two times, yeah, two or three times. So, yeah, that is who I am, and that is what I do. And yeah, that's the plan. You know, Justin, when you look at Charles Oliveira, right? You are a guy that is usually going forward. Charles doesn't want to take a step back either. I just did a preview uh, of the fight this weekend. And ultimately, it's a matter of who's going to go backwards first. Same situation with Chandler back in November. You guys are saying, I'm going to the center. I'm not going backwards. But what we have seen from Oliveira recently is that this guy is like a cyborg. He walks you down. He's willing to take one, to give one, to ultimately get to his positions, to get to his uh, areas where he is the best at. How do you approach him knowing that you have to maintain distance when that is not normally how you approach a fight? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm counting on him having that game plan, walking forward, trying to walk through the fire. Um, he will not be able to do that. There's no possible way. And um, every single fight that you watch, one of the first thing that is um, being jockeyed for, being trying to get leverage on is distance and space. Someone will win that battle. And it often um, changes hands on who's winning, but ultimately someone does um, win that battle. And then that's the fight that uh, we have to fight. So. Yeah, I'm not sure what fight we're fighting yet. Um, I don't believe he's going to move forward. Um, but I, I'm happy to move backwards. I don't care what anybody says about moving backwards. Um, I'm going to be elusive, and I'm going to punch a hole in his face. He can't stop me from landing my shots. I'm the most accurate striker in the UFC. And um, I pride myself in that. You know, people talk about Charles Oliveira and the guy that fought against Paul Felder constantly. They're always talking about how they're going to make him quit. Now. When you're related to Amanda Nunez, Amanda Nunez during her run was very dominant, Justin. She wasn't hurt over the course of that run. Ronda barely touched her. She beat up on Misha Tate. She beat up on Chris Cyborg. But ultimately, when Juliana Pena showed her and reminded her of what it was like to be the nail for once, she struggled. With Charles Oliveira, we have seen him be the nail since he became the champ or went on this run. What can you do differently from D Dustin Poirier, who hurt him bad? What can you do differently from Michael Chandler, who hurt him bad, to remind him that, dude, you are a guy that used to look for the exit. How can you do that? How can you do something that these guys were not able to do? Yeah, I mean, um, I think those two fights are completely different instances. Um, I think, you know, and this is just because I have to have a criticism because this is the question you're asking me. I think Chandler in his mind, whooped his ass in the first round and then completely forgot the danger that he was, that was presented at all times in this sport. Um, I believe he became overconfident in that second round. Mm -hmm. And essentially that's why that shot, that left hand was so effective. Um, he wasn't, he wasn't prepared for the danger that he was in anymore after that first round. And I believe Poirier's, you know, after we heard him in the first round, really dumped everything and really tried to get him out of the first round. So I'm going to be patient. When I hurt him, I'm going to be patient. When I don't hurt him, I'm going to be patient. Mm -hmm. uh, the most accurate striker in the UFC, even though those numbers are absolute bullshit, but <laughs> my shots land, and they land consistently and effectively, and that's the name of the game. You know, when I was watching you in Chandler, I think a lot of people miss some of the little things that you do in those interactions. They say, well, Justin Gaethje has hard leg kicks. They don't understand the setups to the leg kicks. They don't understand the angles that you create. They don't understand the little traps that you set within your interactions with your opponents that allow for you to take advantage and land the highest strike percentage in UFC history. What is it that you are doing, you and Trevor, to build these game plans that have allowed for you to not only make 
a hell of a debut in the UFC, but ultimately just stay at the top of the division the entire time that you have been in the octagon, the entire time that you have been in the organization? Yeah, it's, it's all timing. It's um, it's all timing. And my my reactions from A to B are faster than anybody. Uh, that's a skill that I've honed since I was a, a little kid um, on accident, you know, in different ways. <laughs> but the ability to fire and not think um, in chaos is something that I'm great at. And that's what we do. You well, have to how, be able how, Well, how did you develop that? Because you and I have spoken about this on a number of occasions where your thought process in regards to a fight is actually scary. It honestly reminds me, I don't know if you know the whole Stone Cold Steve Austin thing, how he got his name and built the character. He had saw a mob uh, murderer called the Iceman. I feel like your mentality in regards to combat is very resembling of that guy in his approach to what he was doing. How'd you develop that? Because we've spent a lot of time together off camera. And you're a pretty cool dude, normal, laid back. Uh, but in in those situations, it's kind of scary the way that you think about a fight. <clears throat> Ultimately, since I was a child, my parents instilled um, the best thing a parent can instill, and that is their belief in their faith. Uh, my belief in my faith has taken me so far, and my comfort knowing that if I die, I get to go home, brings me comfort. Um, and this is the life that I chose. This is the life that I love. Um, that chaos, I, I've never been so comfortable. Not right now. I'm not, as, I'm not as comfortable right now as I will be in the cage. And I don't know why. Uh, but as far as honing skills, like, weird, like when I was a kid, every time I was in the backseat, a shadow was cast across the road. Um, I had to blink whenever it was in between the tires, like the ability to fire, 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 fire without, without processing, I think is, is what in some stupid like that, I think is what has instilled this intuition uh, that allows me to be faster from point A to point B. Justin, you are truly a special talent, special human being, and you are now on the verge of what I believe is the biggest fight of your entire career. Thank you for taking some time. To speak with me, I will see you down in Arizona, and I will see you next time on the golf course when you will be receiving a whipping once again. Because I got to be honest, man, having money is one thing. Having Justin Gaethje money is a completely different thing. You're going to play me in a fair game of golf next time. You ain't getting two strokes a hole. Listen, That's listen. Listen. Two strokes a hole could be a theory that you, it could be something you're making up at this point. I don't know. But I know that I'm going to whip your ass the next time I see you on that golf course. JGC in Arizona, my brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I can't wait for Saturday. Charles Oliveira will be the biggest accomplishment on my record. And I cannot wait for it. That's the great thing about your sport, though, DC. Me and you can, can sit here and we can talk as much as we want about what we believe is going to happen. We Justin Gaethje could say that he's going to take him to hell. You're going to have to walk through hell. But eventually, eventually, you know, we're going to see this fight take place. And these men get to prove all of what they are in the greatest place in the world, which is in the middle of the octagon in a huge arena full of people who want to see them do battle. And I can't wait for it. But another championship fight. Wait, are you going? You going? Yeah, I'm going. We got to work. There? Bro, we got to work there? Saturday morning. Yo, what yeah, are you talking about? There. Yeah, oh, we, we in there. <laughs> we back. We back in there. I forgot about that. Yeah, we in there. Let's go. Hey, so another championship fight is, um, you know, Rose Namajunas gets to defend her her um her belt against Carla Esparza, and this is the second time that these two have fought. Even though it was 2014, the the, the, the first opportunity for a title fight, and she was Rose was submitted in the third round. When you look at how far Rose Namajunas has come not only from that first fight in 2014, but after beating Johanna, then being slammed on her head and, and, and losing and losing her belt. What type of fighter do you expect Rose to be on Saturday when she gets an opportunity to defend this belt for the second time? You know, when I think about Rose Namajunas back then, she was a kid, like she was mm. a baby. 
And she had different hair and everything. She had different she hair. Had different she, hair was, she, was a, she was a she had hair. Now she yeah. doesn't even have hair. But like <laughs> she was a baby, bro. And she went on the ultimate fighter. She was exciting. She was fun. She was very beautiful. And everybody was just drawn to her immediately. But on the other hand, you had Carla Esparza, who was just a grinder, a wrestler, making her way through the tournament. And everybody's not really paying attention to her, but you got to understand that she had the skill set that was really made for becoming UFC champion. So when they fought, Carla just wrestled her to death, took her down over and over again. Elbow, 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 beat her up until eventually she submitted her. Rose Namajunas, seven, eight years later, she doesn't even recognize that fighter from back then. She's better. And we have seen her go through a transformation uh, right in front of our eyes from young girl to world champion to not the world champion that was almost happy to not be world champion yeah. to pursuing and chasing and winning that world championship again and being grateful for the opportunity of being world champion. So we have seen that evolution. So the story of the ultimate fighter where we are enamored by this Rose Namajunas has played in front of our eyes two times from the ultimate fighter to the title, to the championship again. But guess what's been happening the entire time again? In the background, Carla Sparza, the wrestler, has been grinding with much less attention on her, making yep. her own improvements, putting together a long win streak to find herself right back in his position against Rose Namajunas. Dude, history at times can repeat itself. And it mm. seems as though right now we're right back where we started. So even though it's 22 opposed to 14 RC, we're right back in 14. But we have two much better fighters, much well more well-equipped fighters for fighting for a UFC championship because of the journeys that they have been on. All while different, they've really led them right back to the same place. You know, you keep you you mentioned history repeating itself. And when you you look at these two fighters, is there anything you can gain? From that first fight, DC, by going back and watching it, understanding how uh, a fighter uh, attacks you or, or the way that they approach you, or do you kind of have to scrap that thing and say, you know what, uh, this is not really who these fighters are and totally approach the fight in a different way? It's a different fight. I think too much time has passed, right? Rose Namajunas today knows how to defend takedowns much more effectively than she did back in 2014. And mm -hmm. Carla Esparza is a much better striker than she was back in 2014, 2015. I think one of the biggest moments for me that pointed to Carla in her evolution was when she lost her title to Ioana Janjacek, when she couldn't get a takedown and had no ability to stand and strike. Then you fast forward, and in the fights against uh, Marina Rodriguez and everyone else that she has fought to get herself to this position right now, you see a much improved, Carla Esparza. You see mm -hmm. a fighter that understands if she cannot secure that takedown, she has the ability to stand. And look, Colin Oyama, her, her striking coach, is a fantastic coach in Southern California. And I believe for all the work that he's done, for all the great fighters that he has trained, he trained Rampage, he trained all those guys back in the day. His work with Carla to improve her to the level that she has, just a comfort level that she carries in the striking should be some of his proudest work. And I believe that when you wait as long as Carla has had to wait, she is very understanding of the opportunity because they may not come again. Yeah. They may not come again. So you have to strike while the iron is hot. Whole new fight, whole new fighters. They're barely recognizable from the two right. that we saw way back on the Ultimate Fighter finale. We've seen, we've seen Rose Namajunas go through so many different changes. And we've seen her change as, as, like I said, as a person. And now this champion is much different in who she is in the octagon as a fighter, but who she is as just being Rose, you know, knowing that I'm the best, right? Knowing that I can go out here and do that. And she's saying that, you know, those type of things pre-fight. When you look at this weight class, right? Rose Namajunas being, uh, you know, two-time champ. What does a win in this fight do for her legacy as a champion and just as a fighter as a whole? You know, the sport's young. So we tend to get excited, Ryan. And we have seen mm -hmm. this time and time again from 
Kane was the greatest heavyweight of all time to Usman now may pass George St. Pierre and the right. greatest middleweight is he's right behind Anderson when in reality it's not, right? It's not. Like for as much of a, a resume as Rose is building as the champ, uh, she's a ways off because the greatest champion in his division history is Joanna Jacek. Yes. It doesn't just point to the matchups because of all the defenses. The way that she truly put that weight class on the map is why we view her in the way that we do. But does mm-hmm. Rose step closer to being considered, to being in the conversation as the greatest straw weight we've ever seen? Absolutely. Yeah. I believe that this fight does more for Rose personally than it does for her legacy. Because you go and get that one back from when yeah. you were a kid. From when yeah. you got embarrassed after coming off the show, riding that wave of momentum. Her true first taste of stardom, of recognition, of visibility, she got really stumped bad. By Carla Sparza. So I think personally for Rose Namajunas, personally for Rose and her entire team, this is what uh, the win is for them, opposed to what does it mean to the legacy of Rose Namajunas? Because it's still building, and if she's going to be considered the greatest fight in this division history, she's got a little work to do. Right, right, right. And so I think the one thing I always think about is is, is the demons, right? The, the demons of the past and the things that, you aren't necessarily able to accomplish and then understanding how to use those, use those things as fuel to be better as you go forward. And I think Rose has done that in in every way, whether it was, was, what was losing the belt and having to fight Jessica Andrade again, uh, whether it was having to defend against Zhang Weilei and actually being taken into the deep waters of the second fight and seeing her use her takedown, seeing her use her ground game and show kind of that evolution of, nah, I can win fights either way. It doesn't have to be the early head kick that surprises everyone. I thought that was huge. And now we look at another fight that, even though it's not for a belt, DC, this could be the most explosive fight of 274. Now I know Justin Gaethje is pumping it and saying, nah, we got to walk through hell. But we've watched Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler fight in hell with gasoline tights on and not try to run and get out. And when we think about this fight, this is going to be this is going to be one of those fights, DC, like honestly, that that I could see being uh, very, you know, being explosive, being a good fight, being a little more technical, but still being a good fight and people booing because he these two dudes do is step into the octagon, stand in the middle, not back up, not put their hands up and just throw. What do when we listen to MC on in our favorite Oreo last week, right? <laughs> DCRC and MC. When you listen to him last week, talk about, nah, I need to win. How do you see this fight playing out? And I think that's why you said, eh, what if people boo it a little bit? Because I think Chandler has to be smart. What he just told us last week tells us that the approach will be a little different from what we have seen in his UFC career to this point. But do we really believe him, RC? Yeah, (laughs) I'm a friend of the show. Do we really believe that Mike's going to be able to fight the smart fight? Do we really believe that Mike's going to be able to stay patient in there, not take many chances? I don't. I think Chandler's going to go after him in the way that he's done. Every single fighter that he has fought inside the octagon to this point. I think it's going to be explosive because Tony Ferguson will not allow you to fight in any other way because mm. he's going to be in front of you dancing. He's got some different types of movement. He's so awkward. He's, he's awkward. And a yeah. lot of times the awkwardness will get you pissed off. You're like, I want to fight this dude. <laughs> and that's how Tony Ferguson, it's almost like he walks you in the traps, man. The dude right. tells you some stuff like, I'll get you with a low single. You're like, man, you're not going to shoot yeah. a low single in a mixed martial arts fight. He's like, <laughs> right. he de- is, it's different. This one's fun. And honestly, I feel like this one is the, the right step for Chandler. Because unless Tony Ferguson has made some real changes to his approach, this seems like a winnable fight for Michael Chandler. I'm not saying he'll beat Tony Ferguson. I'm saying when we looked at the two matchups he had on paper prior, it seemed as though he was a clear dog. This one, he's the favorite. It seems like the right matchup for him at this point in his career. You know, I think the the, the thing about, about Tony is 
Tony still has enough allure from that great run he went on where people won't think he's he's over with, where, where, where people will think that Tony Ferguson still stands a chance. You know, they, they, they won't mm-hmm. think about maybe the Charles Oliveira fight where, you know, he refused he refuses to tap or uh, Daniil Berryush, where he was truly dominated on the ground in that fight the entire time. I think the good thing is, too, those aren't really places we've seen at least recently Michael Chandler take take the fight we know that he's an amazing wrestler but he hasn't really taken the fight there so he's going to give Tony that opportunity to stand and throw do you think that somewhere deep down no DC somewhere stuck inside that awkward body with that that weird fade that there's a little old Tony left you know that Tony got something that he could bring out can we see some of that this Saturday and can that be brought out by a guy like Michael Chandler, who may give Tony that opportunity to display fireworks? I think so. I think it's still in there a little bit. And you know how I know? Because he doesn't quit. Hmm. Old great champions that quit. You can see that that fire that drives them is gone. Older fighters that aren't willing to die on their shield. You could see that that thing that made him so special is gone. Tony Ferguson never quits. So in the Benil Darius fight where he's seeing very little success, in the Oliveira fight where my guy broke his, his arm broken, yeah, in the Gaethje fight where Gaethje just battered him all across the octagon, he never quit. He kept trying. He kept trying to fight, kept trying to stay in there. And because of that, that tells me that that fire within, it's still burning. It may be dim. It may not be a full-on flame as it was when he was on a 12-fight win streak. But it's still in there. So he's got to tap back into that thing that made him so special over the course of that run that he was on. I think it's there. And I mm-hmm. think that if Michael Chandler isn't careful, Tony Ferguson will do things and you'll go squint a little bit. Right. You squint see the a little old bit. One. Yeah, yeah you you'll see one. the guy, right? You'll see yeah. that guy that submitted Kevin Lee. You'll see the guy that ripped Josh Thompson's face apart with the elbows, you'll see the guy that was truly considered the boogeyman in the lightweight division uh, on Saturday night. It's going to be fun, man. This fight card is insane. Yes, it's going to be a great fight uh, down in, Florida, uh, in Arizona. You know, you know the, the the crazy thing about it is I listened to you kind of recap some of the things we've seen from Tony Ferguson or we saw on that run, and and what it made me think about too is versatility. You know, yep. you know, we, we, we do watch him, you know, kind of be awkward and we do believe that he's exciting and we've seen those things. But Tony Ferguson can beat you in a multitude of ways. And if a guy like Michael Chandler does give him the opening and does give him the opportunity to show us some old Tony, this could be one of the more exciting and explosive fights of the night. And I think that's what we're expecting. But speaking of exciting and explosive We got somebody coming up on this show for one round that I think people need to get to know even more because of the type of fighter she is, the type of star she is, and the way she's learning to sell herself a little bit. So we got one round with PFL champion Kayla Harrison coming at you now. All right, guys, it's time for one of our favorite segments of the show. Every week we talk to these spectacular guests. This week we have two-time U.S. Olympic gold medalist, PFL champion misses everything Kayla Harrison as she gets ready to headline PFL three third fight of the season this weekend against Marina Moke Nakina. Marina Moke Nakina. There you go, hey, there we DC. Go. Y'all got it? There got you it. go, DC. I got it right. But reality is, Kayla, does it really matter who you fight? No. It's like, <clears throat> line them up. I'll knock them down, you know? That's it. You know, I want- before we get into your fight, I want to ask you, last weekend, there was a massive uh, female boxing fight mm-hmm. in Madison Square Garden that completely took over the fight world. Yeah. You know, Katie, Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano last week, Madison Square, place is going crazy. A week later, you're headlining. How empowering is it for a female to see that on one weekend and find herself at the top of the marquee the following week and how far female fight sports have come? Yeah. I mean, you love to see it. The sooner as women, we realize that we're all in this together, you know, and what we're doing is we're, we're trying to make um, 
the next generation not have to work quite so hard in a sense, you know, the better off we're going to be. You love to see it. You look at how far we've come in such a short time. Remember when Dana said there would never be women in the UFC and then Ronda mm-hmm. shattered that ceiling? Like that wasn't that long ago. Like Ronda right. really wasn't. It's right. like, and now they're headlining Madison Square Garden and I'm the main card, like main event. And, you know, we've come a long way in a short period of time and it's just going to keep growing. You know, women are going to, the sport, we're, it's such a unique sport in the sense that it hasn't been around that long, but women haven't been around that long. So mm-hmm. the rate of growth is exponential. And I mean, I already have girls at the gym who are 18 year old girls who just do MMA yeah. And they're, you know, they're coming to kill me, yeah. you know? And I'm like, holy, <laughs> like, <laughs> I better get in, get off and get out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Kayla, that's, that's interesting that you mentioned that because you, th- you think back to the inception of MMA. Some people called it human cockfighting. And mm. then we watch it progress, at least as far as the men progressed into these athletic dynamos who understood that if I can understand these skills and techniques, then I can take over this sport. It's kind of going to start happening with women. You know, you mentioned already 18 year old girls that are only focusing on MMA, but that's because of the, the Ronda Rousey's, the, the cyborgs, the Amanda Nunez's. And now you, when you look at the evolution of the sport, how excited are you to be one of the faces that headlines that for women? I mean, it's an honor, you know, it's something that I think realistically, like to be quite frank with you, I don't really do it for that. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't, I don't do it. I don't do this to be famous. I don't do this to like that's I've realized over the course of my MMA career for sure. Like, Mm-hmm. I really don't do it for that, but to have a positive side of that, where I'm, I'm mostly mean the negative side of it, right? Like when you're famous mm-hmm. or like in order to sell a fight, like nowadays it's yeah. got this Conor McGregor effect and you have to talk trash and you have to hate the person and you have to like blow it up larger than life. The, the good news about being a positive about being, I guess, a star of the sport is, is the positive impact where you do get to, to show young girls that like, Hey, anything is possible. Like I was Mm -hmm. 16 years old with $5 in my bank account and now I'm 31 and I've got, you know, millions of dollars in the bank. That's what I was listening for the millions. I was listening for the millions. (laughs) Yeah. She got zeros on zeros on zeros. (laughs) I don't do it for that either, but I think that, um, that's the beauty about my life. Like I do what I love every day Mm -hmm. and life blesses me because of that. If I want money, you know, I I do what I love and I find a way to make my passion, um, my purpose and my life has, you know, flourished abundantly, like financially, spiritually, emotionally, like my life is, is beautiful because of that. Kayla, now getting to the fight this weekend, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk about Marina. I know you said the opponent doesn't matter, but every time you step foot into that octagon, there is dangers that comes with the competition. So what can you point to specifically? And even though it may not be a major threat, is something that you have to really be on guard for when you step into the cages this weekend. Yeah, I want to. I want to reiterate that. Of course, <laughs> I'm the I'm the best in the world. You know, that's it. I'm the best in the world, and time will tell that. I will prove myself right. But everyone's tough until you beat them. You know, it doesn't matter who it is that you step across the cage from at the end of the day, they're trying to beat you. You're trying to beat them. Everyone's everyone's tough until you beat them. You can't overlook anyone. So uh, one of the reasons I love um, the season format and getting to fight so often and having the, having PFL do such a good job of bringing in new talent and having the challenger series and looking for scouting for, for their own stars and things like that is I'm fighting someone new and Marina is a new challenge. You know, she, she's a Sambo world champion. She does a lot of leg locks. She does a lot of spinning back fists, you know, leg locks and spinning back fists are not something that I've really thought about before in my career. So now, Mm -hmm. you know, I've had to focus on that. I'm going with friggin' Mateus Gamrot, you know, trying to leg lock me like that's, (laughs) I'm getting better. You know, she's forcing, I'm, I appreciate an opponent like Marina because she forces me to fix my holes and get better, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that was going to be, did have a good line about Sambo though. Do you want to hear it? (laughs) Yeah, tell me, please. Are you, yeah. are you nervous? Okay. He said, You're gonna, hey, just who said that? 
Big Jim, Big Jim. Okay, well, you, you just better be careful. He, tell Big Jim he's about to make a whole bunch of Dagestani enemies. So come on, tell me. <laughs> tell me. Like, we were watching film, and I was like, oh, yeah, Big Jim, she's a Sambo. You know, he's 75 from Boston. He's like your quintessential mass hole. And uh, <laughs> he was Ronda's judo coach, my judo coach. He's like the, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Anyways, we're watching the film, and he's like sitting there, and I'm like, oh, Big Jim, she's a Sambo world champion, da 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 He's like, Sambo? <laughs> Sambo? <laughs> Sambos for people who couldn't make it in judo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you know what, though? I think you got to have that level of confidence in what you do. I'm not mad at Big Jim at all. You just got to make him right, though. Like, that's the only thing. Uh, you don't worry make about sure. that. Yeah, you just got to make him right. I work too hard. Don't worry about that. And so, so you know, you look at, uh, you mentioned your opponents, right? And, and having Marina come in and make you better. Mm. You, you, you seem to, to, to dominate in a fashion that we haven't seen since early Ronda and probably even more impressive. When you look at what you want to do in the future, do you see the, the rest of your career at PFL? Do you see other things in store for you? What would you like to be your next step after continuing to prove you're the best in the world? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be a free agent ever again. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Much. That was crazy. It was Listen, crazy. It was I was a free agent crazy. in football. It sucks. No, it was, I can't it imagine. Was like, I can't imagine football. That must have been. Like, there yeah, was, it was crazy where, to like, watch you go through that. It was crazy to watch you go through that and all the pulls that you were having to deal with. Yeah. Ultimately resigning with the PFL. Yeah. So, yeah I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but. No, no, it's okay. I just got to the point where it was like. Obviously, at first, it's fun. You know, you're like the bell of the ball. Everyone's taking you out to dinner. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're excited. You, you think you're going here. Then you think you're going there. And, um, you know, it was exciting at first, but it got to the point where I was just like, I don't I mean, I don't care if I fight in a bar at this point. Like, let's just get me a fight booked. Right. You know? And I think the highs and lows of it. You know, to be quite frank, and, and I'm very happy with my contract. I'm very happy I'm back with the PFL. We've come to a lot of, I think we're going to do great things, even better things than we've already done. But you're right. I do want to test myself. You know, I do want to test myself yeah. against the best. I think I'm ready. You know, I think I've been ready. My coaches have been sort of keeping me patient, keeping me humble, keeping me grounded. But I, I feel like I'm ready. And there was a point during free agency where I accepted a contract and I thought I was going to fight Chris Cyborg on April 22nd in Hawaii. So, um, you know, I still want to test myself against the best to answer your question. I, I don't, I'm not shying away from anyone. I'm not afraid to fight anyone. I'll step in the cage with King Kong. I really don't care. Um, Love that. Because I don't, it's not about, it's not about them. You know, at the end of the day, this is my personal journey. And, and this is my goal for myself to see how far I can push myself, to see how high I can climb, to see how many mountains I can conquer. And that's not to say that the, that I will get to where I want to go. I don't know if I'm ever going to get to fight Cyborg. I don't know if I'm ever going to get to fight Amanda, but I want to try to fight the best while they're the best, you know? Yes. I, I want to climb those mountains. Kayla, and I know, think the PFL is going to, going to help me. You know, I think the yeah. PFL wants to, they want to, they want to, they want to grow just as much as I want to grow. And they want to put on exciting fights for the fans. Just, just as much as I do the best way to do that also is to have a dominant champion that you feel you can roll out against anyone in the world. Now, mm -hmm. before we let you go champ, um, during your contract renegotiation, Amanda was fighting Juliana Pena. Everybody knew you were a free agent. You're mm -hmm. in the stands. You seem more Ooh. open to fighting her, even though you guys were from the same gym than most. And then she leaves. And then yeah. you hear Amanda left ATT because of the stuff with Kayla Harrison. So, yeah. Could you shed a little light on that situation? Because Amanda's one of Ryan's favorite fighters, as she is most of us. Of fighters, but <laughs> My favorite fighters, too. Yeah, she is. But could DC, you why are you trying to hate, like, though? Tell us, why tell are you trying us, to like, hate? What happened in that situation? Like, were you okay with going and fighting her, even though you were teammates? Like, what yeah. happened there? Why did she go? Um, You know, I don't know why Amanda left. Those are her personal reasons. I... I we haven't, I haven't like sat down and had a discussion with her about any of it, but I will tell you that I was helping her train for that fight against Juliana. Yeah, things were fine. I, I'm still friendly. Nina's still at the gym. Think, things are good. And I will say that, of course, I was open to fighting her. Like it's no secret. I, I feel like I've made it no secret that I'm open to fighting her. I'm open to fighting Cyborg. I'm open to fighting 
you, like, I don't, (laughs) um, and I, I think that might just be part of my, my upbringing, you know, my, my judo upbringing. Like we used to go to training camps and train with everybody from Japan and France and China and here and there. And then we'd fight them in a tournament a week later. And then we're training with like a month before the Olympics. I tell this story all the time, but a month before the Olympics, I was in France training with the girl that I fought in the finals of the Olympics. Like it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it's not, I remember when I first started MMA and I was trying out new gyms, I mentioned to someone like, oh man, maybe I should go where uh, Cyborg trains. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, what? You can't do that. I'm like, why not? Like I'm, I'm zero and zero. She's the greatest at the time, you know, and that's who I want to be. Why wouldn't I go train with the best? If you want to be the best, you, if you want to beat the best, you have to train with the best, you know? So, and that's what happened when I moved to ATT, I did one session with Amanda and I was like, oh, all right, I guess I'm going to Florida, you know, (laughs) I packed my stuff up and a month later, you know, I'm a Floridian. Yeah. Champ. Thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate your time. Have fun out there this weekend. I know you will. And you are truly an inspiration to Uh men and women all around the world and all the great work that you're doing at the forefront of everything outside of the octagon. I know we didn't get to get to it, but congrats on all your success, Kaylin. Thank you. Congratulations. Keep pushing. Thank you. DC, you know what time is time. It is tap in, (laughs) tap out. Let's get it, my guy. Corporate Jake, what's up? All right, guys, after a full year away from the octagon, the 39-year-old Donald Cowboy Cerrone returns Saturday night at UFC 274 against Joe Lozon. Cowboy has nothing left to prove inside the octagon. So, RC, tap in or tap out that UFC 274 should be Cerrone's swan song. I tap in. I tap in. When, when you think about the, the numbers of times that Cowboy Cerrone has not only entertained us, enthralled us, but earned our respect, by the type of fighter he is and his willingness to fight at any time against anyone, he doesn't have a thing to prove. And I think sometimes because we've watched someone be so good at their job and they've been so good at their job, you just want to keep seeing them and having the opportunity to watch them do it. And on the other hand, they want to do it until they can't anymore. And I don't want Cowboy Cerrone to get to that point. I think this should be his last one. I hope it's a great one for him, but no matter how it goes, we should have the opportunity to know or to hear him say, this is it for me, so he can get the standing ovation in Arizona that he deserves. I tap in um, because taking a year away is a step from the norm for Cowboy. Before he was three times a year, four times a year, anybody, anytime, anywhere. And, you know, he's a Cowboy that just floated around the Wild Wild West because that's what the UFC was. But now when you start to find yourself across the octagon from guys like Nico Price and all the young guys, it's time to maybe think about walking away because you're a high-level prize fighter, top-level prize fighter who has been around the top of the cards for so long. And the successes are different today than they were before. But I'm not one man to tell another man to walk away from the game, especially if they still feel that they can compete. But this one seems teed up the right way. Because Joe Lozon is a guy from his era, a guy that was fighting at the top during his time. And if he can win this fight, he could be able to go, you know what? I got a guy that I've seen and known for years, a guy that I've experiences with. Got him. Go out on a win. I think it should be uh, time for Cowboy. Corporate Jake. All right, guys. One half of the UFC Smash Brothers has a bout for this summer. Darren Till will face Jack Hermanson in July when the (laughs) UFC returns to London. So, D.C., tap in or tap out that Hermanson is the right opponent for Darren Till's return. You know, I I tap in because (laughs) this is bad because I said something about these two dudes and people think I don't like. I love Darren Till. I love Hamzat. The reason I say I'm tapping in is because Darren Till lost to Derek Brunson. Mm -hmm. We saw Robert Whitaker get Darren Till. And even though I love Darren Till, Hearing him get a fight is what excites me. The name of the opponent, to me, it doesn't really do as much because what does it really matter outside of him getting going back in the right direction? So uh, because I, I don't like view him on that short list of contenders right now, it's like it's about him fighting someone. 
it doesn't matter who that person is. So uh, I tap in. Jack Hermanson, it could have been freaking uh, another dude from somewhere else. Uh, it's good for London. He's going to get the fight at home. People are going to go crazy. So I know why it works. But uh, And I guess Hermanson is going to test him in the wrestling a little bit. So we'll see if he's made those improvements. So, yeah, I tap in. Yeah, I tap in because, like, Darren Till has now probably become more famous for his relationship with Tomzat <laughs> Shamaya. Right? Because we like that's like that's what we're we're seeing lately. And obviously, the last time we see Hermanson in DC, you correct me if I'm wrong. I think he lost to Strickland, who was who was kind of Sean Strickland, yes, who was yes, kind yes, of he on lost to Strickland. Right, who's kind of on his on his rise, on his rise up. And so I think. This is a, a good fight to get Darren Till back into the fold because truthfully, with what his personality is, kind of the, the fandom that's starting to follow him, it'll be good to get him there, yeah. in there against some of the contenders after this. He's yeah. a guy that could pr probably build a fight, make it fun, and do yeah, some well, of those he's very things. Fun. He's very, very fun, fun, right? He's fought for the belt. You know, he fought yeah. Tyler Woodley for the belt back in the day in Dallas. People love him. He's yes. English. You know, you and I spoke about that, that head start that those guys with the accent have. There yep. was this rising hot prospect, but he's cooled because he hasn't been able to win. He hasn't mm -hmm. been able to make 170, fighting up at 185, struggling with the size. He is a tweener. Like, he's between 170 and 185, little too big for 70, little too small for 85. So Hermanson works uh, in that sense. And like, like Ryan said, you know, his popularity skyrocketing, but that popularity needs to be tied to your success. Yeah. To your successes. And uh, he goes and beats Hermanson in England where the people are going to go crazy. He'll be right back on the track that he needs to be. Corporate Jake. Speaking of London, the top of the heavyweight division is slowly taking shape. Two bouts have been rumored involving various contenders. Curtis Blades versus Tom Aspinall in London and Surreal Gone versus Tai Tuivasa, hopefully in Paris. So RC, tap in or tap out that Gon versus Tuivasa is more enticing than Blades versus Aspinall. Oh, Gon versus Tuivasa is definitely more exciting, enticing. Tap in. I'm talking about tap in, <laughs> sign me up. Where's the tickets? I won't he even ask Glenn. Yeah, I won't even ask <laughs> Glenn for the free joint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, Paulette Blue Francais? Listen, listen. Hey, I mean, like, like when you look at, because when you look at that fight, I think it's, it's, it's a great proving ground for Tai Tuivasa, and it's an opportunity for Cyril Gaon to show us that he could stand in there with someone who presents some of the things Derek Lewis did, <laughs> but actually at a higher level right now because we've watched those two men go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Uh, I think the thing that won't happen, right, is if we won't, we won't see if Cyril Gaon has improved the wrestling, which yep. we saw him dominated by Francis Ngannou. But I also think it's a very smart move for the UFC to not make him prove it to us right away, right? The, don't put him in there with the guy that, that that's going to attempt takedowns that's, for that's three the problem. or for that's, five rounds. ARC, that's, that's kind of the problem with the Aspinall fight. Like, we don't yeah. know if Aspinall can wrestle, but he's going to definitely be tested in his wrestling with Curtis Blades. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. But, but what if Aspinall gets through this with Curtis Blades? Now you know yep. he's got all the skills. Now you yep. know that this kid can do everything. I still am more enticed by the Gon fight. First off, because I don't think the UFC's ever been to Paris. He's going to be headlining there. Tai Tuivas is fun. Uh, it's going to be tremendous. But does Cyril Gon take more chances in this fight against Tuivasa? Because you saw in the Francis fight, like, first three rounds, sure, he was winning, but he was barely tapping Francis, and Francis mm -hmm. couldn't catch up to him. So he's such a great striker and can create so many angles that he, he frustrates guys. Can Ty get to him? It's yeah. fun. It's interesting. But, man, Aspinall having to fight Curtis Blades in London, that's going to be a massive test for that young man to see if he is truly ready for the elite of the elite of the division. Yeah. And I cannot wait. I tap in on both, Ryan. I yeah, I tap, no, I, listen. That's not the question. Don't you do that, DC. Hey. Don't play. I'm Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Mr. UFC. This is why I, everybody I'm saying, loves I, I, me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more into the Tuivasa. Uh, it's a real fight because it's in Paris. Like you said, vive les voulez. I want to put on one of them little black hats. Pour, pour you know, hey, I'm going to grow my little thing right there and let it kind of go forward. I'm going to be in Paris. 
I'm going to Paris for that. I mean, the city of love, RC. I'm going to the city you of love. You are a lover, baby. DC, brother. Yeah. You, DC, you a lover anyway, baby. Hey, you I'm a lover. They call me the Velvet Teddy Bear. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, uh, you, listen, Ryan, another great show, my man. man. Congratulations on all. Hey, dude, the draft was sick. But like you said, I saw one of your tweets. You're like, they must have told this kid he was going number one three weeks ago. Dude, they had no reaction. Bro, what is Trayvon Walker doing, bro? Because like it was like you're the first pick. Oh, I love you, mom. Appreciate you, hey, bro. You already know. Normally, listen, like let's go. First pick to me. Listen, I understand that you want to be the first pick in the pageantry and all, but first pick to me goes in. You know what I mean? Like yeah, generational wealth. Set yes, for life. If I do the right things, I'm getting up and partying based <laughs> on that. Boom. Like, I don't even know if I'm going to be good, but I know I got 25 guaranteed. Yes. And so, yes. Hey, and so listen, I'll tell you what I'm going to be excited about, bro. I'm His excited reaction, to see you this was week. Cr- I could not believe that. I was like, wow, this, this dude, I was like, wow, this dude is tripping. But it is. Sometimes you got to be cool, right? But sometimes you can be a little too cool for the situation. Like, you got you to go up there, dog. Like, it, Bro, I ain't trying to be that up, cool. Man. I ain't trying to be that cool. DC. Not that cool. I'm, 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 not listen. that cool. I'm I'm gonna be sweating after I finish <laughs> jumping up and down and, and celebrate sweating. You're gonna and sweat crying. this weekend. Hey, you're gonna sweat this weekend in Phoenix. It's hot. If you thought you were hot in Vegas, it's hotter in Phoenix. It's gonna be like 110 all week. It's gonna be terrible. DC, that's why I trained every year. I'm gonna tell you what's gonna be hot. Them gloves and the octagon gonna be hot. And that's all that matters to me, bro. That is guess what? Fun. This gonna be so hype. We bring in the entire Clark clan. Oh to wow. The you yeah, bring we, your mama we, too? Listen, you bring everybody. your mama too? It's Mother's Day, dog. We coming in deep to that thing. It's so listen, hey, bro, can't wait to see you. 274 is going to be exciting. I'm RC. That's DC. Thank you guys for supporting us, sticking with us. Man, subscribe, like, do whatever you got to do because we want to keep bringing y'all this heat. Y'all be good.